0: Thank
1: Welcome to episode 16 of The Hilo. Some of you might have heard a little snort from Dolly as I, as I began that introduction. <laughs> Sorry. The Hilo is a weekly news and pop culture podcast named in homage to Tina Brown, based on the idea that, you know, a fully rounded person can appreciate the trivial to the political. It's hosted by me, Pandora Sykes, and her, Dolly Alderton. <laughs> Very game show today. <laughs> And uh, it's raining today, which means that um, it's still really hot in the studio. Oh,
2: God, I mean, <laughs> that's must, all it means. They must be so bored of us saying it, but it's, it is very hot. Sorry,
1: Acast, we love your studio and we love the builders <laughs> outside. Um, we keep having to stop and start this introduction. we get. Hey Jamie! You might you <laughs> might hear
2: a little bit of um, a sideshow from then, but little that's little fine. That's work. fine. Adds character. Yeah, exactly. What we have you been are... doing this week, Dolly? Um, what have I been doing this week? I went back to my old school yesterday. Is that what? Pe- is that an alma mater? It is an alma mater. <laughs> I thought it might be martyr. Yeah, I wondered that. Yeah, alma mater. tweet us? <laughs> To uh, tell us we saying things wrong I'm again. so
1: impressed you've gone back to your school I have zero desire to go back to my school I was the only person in my year I think Emma's maybe one other because she was just too much an international woman of mystery which is not me um, <laughs> we were the only two not to go to our ten year reunion why didn't
2: you go out of interest? oh uh, makes me a well don't know is that all we get? yeah that's all you get okay um, so that's been my week so far how about you Pandy? so mine's been a real mix of uh low and low
1: um no not really i have so observationally speaking i have become completely obsessed with the mcdonald's advert have you seen it the new one so it's this woman and she's looking in all of the cupboards for gherkins because she's really pregnant and she obviously craves gherkins she sits down really despondently on the sofa and um her boyfriend just looks at her and gets up and he goes to all these different news agents um obviously looking for gherkins doesn't find any gets to McDonald's just gets a whole box full of gherkins and comes back and gives them to her and it's obviously quite cheesy and I'm definitely um, uh, susceptible very to that cheesy but there's two things that I really love about it which I think just shows especially in the like post Pepsi conglomerate mm-hmm. world that McDonald's resides in just shows thoughtfulness one they're really tiny micro signals but it's really funny I said to Ollie I was like guess what I love about that advert and he
2: was like Diversity.
1: Because what the boyfriend is black and the girlfriend is Indian. So just thought That's really great. nice to see a mixed race partnership. And that
2: not be flagged up as like a diverse specific advert. Yeah, yeah it's just other a normal thing advert. I
1: really liked is that they weren't married? She wasn't wearing an engagement ring. She wasn't wearing a wedding ring. Again, that's great. And again, that's uh, so screw you for. Um, <laughs>
2: <laughs> I've done a U-turn on. But right. also, so I, I just
1: really like that she, you know, was pregnant. Wanda Gherkins. Um, so I've loved that. And I've—you're not going to believe it. I don't know if you've seen on Twitter or if you've been, if you've been quite busy um, moving flat, but I've got into Love Island. I did see the tweet. I did oh my see god! I resisted, but. Almost everyone in my life wore me down. The reason why I got sucked into it was that I was at my friend Annabelle's um, this weekend. Hello, Annabelle. And all of her family are completely obsessed with it. And her 18-year-old sister, who's currently studying for A-levels, was just in this mad panic for the whole weekend, which you just remember, like, viscerally, that feeling with your A-levels of being sort of hysterical, followed by chocolate biscuits going back to hysterical. Anyway, she said... um, Love, love Island, But the thing that makes me really sad is that, you know, teenage girls are looking at this and just thinking that that's what, like, women's bodies are like. Because these women are tiny. And I don't mean slim. I don't mean, like, my size. I mean... Ill. No, none of them look ill. Right. But supermodel size. And they've all had a shit ton of surgery. It's about two people I had I had heard that there was a, a lot of surgery. A shit ton. And they're between 20 and 25. It's really depressing. I want mm. to start a petition for lip jobs to be outlawed they offend me more than anything not in a not in like that horribly snobby way of like oh but they look really awful like in a i really really worry about the way like the female image is changing with them i and i don't and i don't understand why i don't understand when we started fetishizing this really specific and peculiar Mm, it is quite strange Anyway, from a particularly non-feminist show, actually it's not its not non-feminist, that's not fair, it's very equally weighted on challenges, um, and the women get to make a lot of the decisions, but to a lowbrow, to a slightly more highbrow <laughs> thing I've also been enjoying this week, um, I was listening to an episode of The Guilty Feminist. Which one? This week's? No, I don't think I was listening to this week's, I was listening to the one with Gemma Arterton on. Yeah, that's this week's. Is it? Yeah, it's fabulous. Oh, because sometimes I
2: jump around a lot, do you find yeah, that? Yeah, so do I. And um, I think I've listened to every single one now.
1: That's about 95. I
2: know. I listen to it every time I'm in the gym. So the guilty feminists are listening, you already know this. Well, we're, You've got we're going, the aren't we, fans. on the 3rd yeah, of we're July. Going. I was we're so excited. St- yeah, I can't wait. Um, but did you...
1: How much did you love the woman from the feminist collective? Anna.
2: Reverb? Anna. So I,
1: I then... Her. Yeah, what I was obsessed with, which I thought was such a good example, actually it leads on from the surgery thing talking about with Love Island, It's definitely um, the idea of having surgery... Can be hard to reconcile with being a feminist. feminist, particularly in light of what's going on in the world. Mm. And she, apropos of nothing, she was she was not asked going to justify. Say. Yeah, I love She this. said, "I am um, a guilty feminist because I love fillers and Botox, but every time I get, you know, a little this and that," she said,
2: "innumerable, innumerable
1: <laughs> bits of this and that." I donate the same amount to a women's charity, and I thought that <laughs> that's the way around it. If You're going gonna go and have a six hundred pound Botox. Can I afford it? It's not, can I afford that £600? It's, can I afford to pay £600 to Botox and £600 to a feminist charity? I don't think you necessarily have to do that, to be honest. But I no, really I like... Ni- I
2: think it's a nice yeah. idea. I think it's... it's it Deborah Francis White, didn't she, said it was the feminist Hail Mary. It's a, and also, I'm obsessed
1: <laughs> with the fact that they do Prosecco think tanks. The worst phrase I've heard this week, which I would like to share with you, is instead of the phrase, do it for yourself, it's do it for your SEO. What's an SEO. Search engine optimization. So, like, your SEO would be, you know, all the articles that you've written that come with Dolly Alderton. So, I I heard it on a podcast this week do it for your SEO. (laughs) End of days. We've had lots of email responses to the sexual harassment in the workplace dilemma, haven't we?
2: Yeah, we've had loads. So many, actually. We're, not, we're only going to read one out. But thank you, everyone, for all the brilliant responses. Um, we will always, with your permission, I'm going to reply to you to check you're OK with this. Send them on to the initial asker of the question. And Panda and I really love feeling like somehow we're connecting people to share their stories and help each other and kind of creating that community and creating that space. So please do keep interacting in that way. It makes us very happy. Hello, Dolly and Pandora. I've just listened to this week's podcast, which I do every week. I love the show and your intelligent, fun commentary. Thank you. I'm an employment lawyer and wanted to share my advice experience with your listener who attended the client event. Essentially, your advice is spot on from a legal point of view. Allowing female employees to be physically touched and subjected to gender based comments is undoubtedly sex discrimination, sexual harassment. It's tantamount to prostituting out young female employees and is a disgrace. This lady's employer is almost certainly liable as this is a work event. It happens a lot, particularly in the city and particularly in the banking financial services sector. Sitting back and letting this kind of situation go unchallenged would not sit well if she later needed to bring a claim. In fact, if you do not complain or raise a grievance, a tribunal can decrease any compensation awarded by up to 25%. It can also affect credibility, although there is increasingly an understanding that fear plays a big part in these kinds of situations going unreported. However, there are some things this lady needs to think about carefully. One, HR are not there for her. They are there to manage staff in accordance with the culture of the business and to manage the risk of employment law claims she should not assume that the complaint will be kept confidential even if she asks for it to be or that HR are on her side and looking out for her best interests interesting We got another email like that, actually. Two, this may affect this lady's career with this firm and any other firm in a similar sector. Often repercussions can appear unrelated. Performance is one that is raised a lot. Her career may be blighted as news can travel fast in these often small worlds. If this happens, there may be legal claims she can bring and she may receive compensation for financial loss, including loss of career ongoing. However, this can be difficult to prove and bringing a claim against such a large, bullish organisation is frightening and stressful. Only this lady can make a decision for herself based upon how strong she feels about what has happened and how brave she feels she can be in what may well be a difficult time this is not a legal point but with the benefit of some hindsight I'm 42. I would say to her that working in a firm slash sector which treats female employees in this way is unlikely to give her career satisfaction in the long term what can seem like the be all and end-all when you're in your early 20s often changes as you become older I would not start out my career in this way and would make sure that a market is set down that this is unacceptable I hope she is brave enough to to take this forward in full knowledge of what the consequences may be good or bad good luck do you know what
1: I really liked about this email is that it wasn't just you know I was saying last week that I hate it when people don't think realistically and they Mm -hmm. just go you call them out you do that you do this and I like the way that she was like HR are not your friend Mm -hmm. A Mm -hmm. and B um, people are going to talk and it's going to affect your career so maybe the best thing to do is to just move on and that may feel a bit treacherous to your your Other female employees. And I don't know if the answer is to move on and say, listen, I don't want to create a fuss about it. I'm not, I I personally don't want to be a whistleblower right now. Um, So, uh, you know, from a personal point of view, I don't want to jeopardize my career in this industry. But I would like you to know that. The reason that I'm leaving mm. is because I'm incredibly uncomfortable with how women are treated in this workplace. Mm. Um, and then, you know, that's you've you've said that is your exit interview. Most people have it in corporate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I
2: never do, but
1: my husband yeah, always does.
2: Yeah. But also, that we there were a lot, a bunch of emails. Some that were all very ba- balanced. Some from women who had success um, and some from women who didn't so we'll send them it's all definitely
1: on. worth remembering that the corporate world is um going to be riddled with you know it's a man's world it's going to be yeah. riddled with very backward retro sexist ageist
2: and they know they know how all to of like push this back and i think had it had will, deal with it so i think often. it will
1: change but i think it will take time and i think it would be unrealistic to assume that it's going to become as um as kind of fair as the media is you know mm. dolly and i are lucky to be in a world where it's sort of the media's job to be representation onto diverse, and to do all that before other people do. Like, mm. that that's something that's always on the agenda, always being talked about. Mm. Um, but it's, you know, not the same in a lot of industries where there's more money, if I'm honest. Yeah. <laughs> it's, um, it's driven by money, isn't it? Anyway, thank you very much for everyone that wrote. <laughs> the Hilo is thrilled to be sponsored by NARS. This week, we would like to flag up orgasm possibly the brand's most cult product not only for its saucy name it was invented by the NARS founder Francois NARS first oh of
2: course he's called Francois
1: <laughs> first as a blusher in 1999 and then slowly various other products were added to the family like a liquid illuminator Francois wanted to create a blusher that would give that really natural pinky blush that he thought um, occurred most after bonking that's the name <laughs> it's it's NARS's best-selling blush. It's suitable for all skin tones and it rings in at £23. Newly available in liquid form, I have it, which launched on June the 1st. Dolly, what do you love about Orgasm?
2: I wear it every day, I either with the powder blush or the slightly softer, slightly sheerer multi-stick. And it comes in lipstick as well. Have you tried that? No, I'm so excited. You've got the love lip gloss. gloss.
1: Oh, you'd love the lipstick. But I just
2: love the rosy pink with the gold shimmer in it just to make so you look sexy. like you've been
1: bonking even when you haven't yes exactly thank you very much to Naz
2: <laughs> it is now time for the top line this is a segment in which one of us gives you a recap of all the high and low news stories from the last week last week we gave a little bit of creative control to I, our producer it's, Charlie it's some brilliant. may say we gave him a creative inch the low, he took a creative the high, the mile
1: low, but so um, <laughs> for anyone that maybe felt a bit stressed trying to listen to the bite sized news and the low the high <laughs> we're going to just have it coming in and then at the end but also just to caveat Dolly's point about us reading all the news that's both high and low, we're obviously not going to read all the news of the no, no, week, sorry, we're doing... be four
2: days. it's a pricey so there's just ten points. Charlie I'm very excited about what song you're going to choose this week, let's hit it <laughs>
1: The Queen has been given a £6 million pay rise after a record-breaking performance by the Crown Estate. 52% of parents would consider calling their kid Corbyn, according to website (laughs) channelmum.com. Netflix have cancelled Girlboss, a series named after retail celebrity and founder of Nasty Gal, Safar Amoruso, after one season. Boris Johnson's now infamous interview with LBC's Nick Ferrari has been deemed forgettable in a wildly shared Guardian piece by Hugh Muir on account of the fact that he is white and upper class. 95 tower blocks have failed safety tests following the Grenfell Tower tragedy. Controversial CEO Travis Kalanick has quit Uber under pressure from investors. The company recently fired 20 employees after investigation into its work practices, possibly prompted by the blog post on the startup's mass sexism by one of Uber's former engineers, Susan Fowler, went viral. Kelly Osborne wet herself and blamed it on Starbucks. Shame on you at Starbucks, hashtag piss my own pants <laughs> in this location because your shameful employees refused to let me use the bog emoji I have piss in my shoe Martin Shkreli dubbed the most hated man in the world for raising the cost of Daraprim a life-saving drug used to treat HIV by 5,000% went on trial this week in New York 64 people died in Portugal's worst ever forest fires last week many in their cars three days of national mourning followed ending on Pandora's favourite of a fact 7% of Americans think that chocolate milk comes from brown cows. (laughs)
2: That's a very good top
1: line. I'm absolutely obsessed with the, the chocolate milk one yeah it's extraordinary Um, I'm also obsessed with I remember this story about Martin Schaley still can't pronounce his name do you remember it was about three years ago and he was called like pharma villain and pharma crim because he um, you know it's really weird in the pharmaceutical industry you can buy up a drug and you can kind of charge it for whatever you want Mm, and no one can do anything so I remember that from the HIV Um, but I'd have to say it's a hard one I think brown cows are coming close, but my favourite is uh, Kelly Osborne's because you know, I think she's got a point. I think she's got one hell of a point. I am increasingly annoyed by how few food and drink outlets have public loo's. Loads of petrol stations don't have it anymore, and I was of the belief that it was a legal obligation to have a public loo if you served food and drink.
2: I'm not sure. I'm not sure, but I'm always because so I'm definitely amazed.
1: noticing that loads and loads of places are like, oh, no, we, I remember I went to a petrol station the other day and, this, uh, and the attendant was like, oh, yeah, we used to have a loo, but people kept messing it up so we don't have it available anymore. And I said, I, so you're expecting people to come and spend 50 quid on petrol, buy themselves a sandwich, a drink, you know, packet of sweets, and you can't provide a loo and you're off a of motorway.
2: But I'm also always amazed at how unaccommodating that is for their female customers because if you're a guy I know it's not ideal but you can always sort to of find some bin to stand behind and slash
1: oh my god Whereas, is, yeah it's you can't with a woman
2: particularly that woman might be pregnant and therefore she'll have less control of her bladder or holding in piss as we have discussed is very bad for UTIs. I'm just absolutely
1: obsessed with I have piss in my shoe <laughs> <laughs> I mean I'm like really it was that bad and where did she go? Next to the Frappuccino?
2: So, of course, we had to talk about Jezza Cozza, Jeremy Corbyn. <laughs> Don't know where that came from. At Glastonbury. We'd have to talk about Glastonbury anyway, because I feel like you always have to talk about Glastonbury, because it goes on for so bloody long. Yeah, the first There's rule... so much. Instagram, rule. avoid Instagram over Glastonbury. The first rule of going to Glastonbury is everyone has to talk about Glastonbury. At 4pm on Saturday, Labour Party leader Jeremy Corbyn and the founder of the festival, Michael Evis, took to the Pyramid stage in front of one of the biggest crowds the festival has ever seen. The number of fans that flocked to hear Corbyn's speech was apparently nearly 100,000, which is the same amount of people that went to go see the Rolling Stones in 2013. At first, he praised Michael for his work in creating the festival, and apparently, I've read him reports, then handed him a copy of the Labour manifesto. But I, I don't remember seeing that. Um, he then went on to point out a slogan on the outer wall of the festival, where someone had written "Build bridges, not walls," and directed it at Donald Trump. He then went on to talk about the importance of a multicultural Britain and the importance of every member of society feeling safe and welcome. Uh, And then he talked about how we need to challenge discrimination of all forms. He finished with a rousing quotation from one of his favourite poets, Shelley, who he pointed out was a regular traveller of Europe, which was no doubt a nod to Brexit. And he said, Rise like lions after slumber, in unvanquishable number. Shake your chains to earth like dew, which in sleep had fallen on you. You are many. They are for you. So I watched some of the Glassdoor coverage, which honestly, I just it feels
1: weirdly vicarious to Have me. you like, ever been? No, I've never been. I would like to go someday, but watching it feels like, watch, you know, sort of watching someone else have a party. Mm. And maybe I don't feel passionately enough about festivals to want to watch them from afar, but I just don't find watching it on TV particularly diverting. Anyway, I didn't see that bit with Corbyn, so I missed the only headline-making bit, unless you count Nick Grimshaw calling Worthy Farm a dairy farm the most vegan place on earth (laughs) (laughs) or Katy Perry crowd surfing in a glittery condom suit with backing dancers dressed as human hair Um, and to be fair I bloody loved Stormzy rapping about Grenfell that was amazing but but I've caught up on, on Corbyn since but I actually read a piece by Martin Daubney on The Telegraph which really pissed me off about this
2: Corbyn. Martin Daubney pissing us off. That's unusual.
1: Well, what, I think whatever you think about, and we'll get on to whatever you think about Corbyn speaking at Glastonbury, what annoyed me about this piece was the um, summarisation of of what the gla- Glastonese, what's the name of someone who goes to Glastonbury? <laughs> Glastonese. The Glastonese, so the Glastonese with a Z about, about who the Glastonese are. So he said, um, nothing sums up the inequality of austerity hit Britain better than a hundred thousand metropolitan liberals who'd paid 243 pounds each to stand in a field chanting oh Jeremy Corbyn while live streaming it to YouTube on their iPhone 7s he wrote and I just thought hang about you've completely misunderstood Glasgow. there yes there are Delavines flying into the festival in helicopters would if I could <laughs> but not everyone who goes is rich like I met a lady at a vintage fair the other day who's been every year for 12 years with her husband they met there they married there they take their baby there it's their only holiday each year they're just these huge hippie Glastow mm. fans and I know you know We both find it hilarious, the kind of sheeshification of festivals. And I don't even go to festivals anymore because I sort of can't deal with the whole PR marketing slog of it all. But to presume that all festival goers are now rich ponces is not only cynical, but blindly inaccurate.
2: But also, it's just so typical of Martin Dordney to completely misunderstand what the heart of Corbyn's message is, which is about social, economic fairness... Distribution and inclusivity, and it's not about monitoring the frivolities of people's personal this spending. Is, do you know what? this is all
1: about what uh, this to me for such an example of what the high low is that you can spend two hundred and forty three pounds going to Glastonbury and still be a socialist, or still or still care about tuition fees. Yeah. And um, I don't even think you have to be a roaring socialist. I'm not. I'm not a roaring socialist, quote unquote. Um, I'm more centrist. But that still annoyed me because it was just such a sort of. Homogeneous, um,
2: it's reductive. It was la- and it was also lazy. It's lazy. Yeah, it was, and it's, it's tenuous it's, and it's irrelevant. Yeah, I found the Corbyn thing to my shame. I actually was very roused by it in the you past. Love the word roused today. Have I used it mistaken more than once? Aroused.
1: <laughs> yes, you said that Jeremy roused with Shelley poem. <laughs> Maybe I was aroused. No, I don't think oh. I was. I don't think I was. I think you I like was an just old aroused.
2: Man? No, Jezza doesn't do it for me. In the past, I have thought he was a disaster as a leader I think rather than a lover I think no now it's going to make out like a fancy Jeremy Corbyn I don't it's okay no
1: not necessarily I fancy everyone
2: else other than Jeremy Corbyn Um, (laughs) and I thought he was I've always thought he's obviously a very good very honourable very inspiring man but I thought he was a pretty shabby leader for quite a long time but watching the speech really did make my hairs stand on end and I think whether he becomes leader or not it was a very exciting thing to see Thousands of young people cheering and gathering to hear a man talk about compassion and diversity. I think that's a really amazing thing I to do. I mean, have it witnessed.
1: was Corbin Mania. May I again reference it was that 52% of adults would consider naming their baby Corbin still? mystified by this, although not as mystified as Piers Morgan was.
2: But when you, when you looked out into the crowd, you could see the, the sea of Corbyn mania, because everyone had banners, they were wearing t-shirts with their faces on, and then the crowd started singing the bloody Jeremy Corbyn song. Do you know it? Yeah, I wouldn't predict a number one with that. <laughs> A man started singing it apropos of nothing in the pub the other day, which I really enjoyed. Uh, There's a very funny piece in The Telegraph about how the song came about. The writer Rupert Hawksley begins with the last time I was at Glastonbury in 2015 my editor sent me to report on a talk the Dalai Lama was giving at the Stone Circle I don't remember a great deal of what he said but I do remember some frazzled maniac attempting to start a chant when his holiness walked out on stage <laughs> one Dalai Lama there's only one Dalai Lama no one joined in which I thought was a shame <laughs> he continues that chant set to the white stripe, the Jeremy Corbyn chant set to the white stripes is 2003 hit Seven Nation Army has been the unexpected soundtrack to the summer so far. It all started in Birkenhead on a balmy evening in late May. The Libertines were due to play a gig at Prenton Park when Corbyn took to the stage to say a few words about austerity and the NHS. The crowd spontaneously erupted into the chant. Football fans have been using the not wholly complex compositional framework of O plus five syllable name (laughs) for years, but this seems to have been the first time Jeremy Corbyn's name was used. Yeah, Ollie, whenever he's drunk,
1: always sings O insert a footballer's name.
0: Da, da, da. Yeah. Um,
1: not to that, but just um. saying, oh, and then someone's <laughs> name. It's all the time. I do love as well that Jeremy Corbyn, available for heart at gigs and festivals. I know, so obviously bar. he's doing the circuit. Well, he knows that pop culture is a viable bandwagon. He's smart, uh, yeah. Obama did it as well, to be mm. fair. The thing is, is it is really mad, um, thinking of him at glass. I think it feels really mad, because if you think just back to a few weeks ago, when it was like the old... Hongi Paul, as I like to call it, (laughs) just because I know how much it entertains you. But I don't think I'm as shocked as everyone else seems to be because it it feels to me just a very natural PR for him. A lot of your audience would be there. um, You know, his audience uh, likely... What was the biggest demographic? Between 30 and 45. Mm -hmm. Probably creative types. You're at a festival. Everyone's pissed. He's an excellent orator. You get to go to a festival at the same time. I mean,
2: the song was just the icing on the cake or do you think it's had an adverse effect for him I think it definitely would have helped him but weirdly I'm not someone to give politicians the benefit of the doubt I don't think that Jeremy Corbyn is mad on power I don't think it would have been his idea because I think to his detriment almost which perhaps why he isn't a strong enough leader, I don't think he's that interested in power, which is why have you ever seen that awful interview with him with Jon Snow, where Jon Snow says, Would you like to be Prime Minister? And he just won't answer it. It's a horrible interview. No,
1: I didn't. Producer Charlie's nodding, so I'm now like, have oh you my seen God. it, Charlie? Yeah. It's horrible, isn't he it? He says it, he wouldn't like to be Prime Minister. Well what John in Sod's name is I he know. doing it. No, John Snow. Prenton and Glastow and Bisto and
2: Wasto. <laughs> <laughs> my favourite thing that I read about his appearance at Glastonbury was uh, someone asked him after his speech what the naughtiest thing was that he'd ever done at a festival. Oh
1: God, I mean, do we really need to know that?
2: Well, he said, oh, it's far too bad, I couldn't possibly tell you. And then apparently he said, where's the nearest wheat field? Which is a very funny reference to the <laughs> Theresa May answer when she was asked what the naughtiest thing was she ever did when she was a child. Which I really loved him Remi- saying that. Remind me of that. Nobody's ever perfectly behaved, are they? I mean, you know... I have to confess, when me and my friends sort of used to run through the fields of wheat, um, the farmers weren't too pleased about that.
1: Speaking of politicians and PR teams, I actually read the most brilliant piece about Fiona Hill and Nick Timothy. Um, Theresa May's now sacked special advisors, known as the Gruesome Twosome, in the Sunday Times this. Sunday Gone it was by her former speechwriter Alice Dare Palmer um, and you'd love it Dolly it was a total mm. revelation about May as a woman touching on what we discussed last week on that kind of fear of being a public person did and it confirm that, that lack of charisma yeah it was actually kind of touching about her here's an excerpt I'll send you the um, I'll send you the link so this is what Alistair says I immediately discovered May had no small talk whatsoever. She was perfectly comfortable with silence, which I found extremely disorientating. Mm. Most of the politicians I had met up to that point wanted something and were not in the least shy about using a combination of offers and veiled threats to get it. May did not appear to want anything from me. As we waited for the menu, sorry, they're in a restaurant meeting for the first Mm. time. As we waited for the menu, what I thought would be a brief pause in the conversation got longer and longer and it started to get embarrassing. The icy atmosphere eventually began to warm up. After she had gone, I remember thinking how unlike other politicians she was, much less phony, more sincere. She'd made no effort whatsoever to be charming. I liked her for that. I felt i had encountered a genuine individual rather than the sort of hologram most politicians project for public consumption
2: or when they meet a journalist. That's very interesting. That's very interesting because I've never thought of how that how that may be a sign of authenticity. I mean, is there a world in which we can have both, is what I would say. Is there a world where you can have someone who is being themselves and not being 100% spin, but also can talk to people?
1: Yeah, Barack, innit? <laughs> Literally, just always Barack. Um, there's been some excellent responses to Corbyn's turn at Glastow. I tapped into uh, Twitter. Um, I'm just going to read you out a few that I really enjoyed. This girl quotes what lots of sort of older right-wing pundits were saying. Do youth realise Corbyn's only going to Glasto to win votes? You got me, she says in her tweet. Thought he went for a sesh. (laughs) Ket and communism behind pyramid stage. (laughs) A sesh, I love that. Um, Another one. Imagine serving in armed forces, then opposition leader Jeremy Corbyn snubs an event honouring you so he can rave with potheads at Glasto. And that's something I've read a lot about, is that in order to go to Glasto, he was not at an event. Um, that was honouring the armed forces. That's a pretty valid point. Tweet three is my favourite. Jeremy Corbyn will be on stage at Glasto at 4pm today. That's JC 4pm. Coincidence? I think not.
0: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank.
1: In an interview with The Observer, which has now been shared over 15,000 times, the power of the Guardian website, one directioner, Louis Tomlinson, told Tom Lamont that Niall is lovely, Zane has the voice, Harry is cool, Liam gets the crowd going, then there's me. In an incredibly moving interview covering the loss of his mum, Joanna, in December, It's summarily been taken as an elegy on what it is to be average, with Louis saying that he was the kid in the back wearing espadrilles who was largely forgettable.
2: I can't remember a time that a pop star interview blew up the internet like this. Can you, doll? No, not in recent history. I loved it. I found it very self-aware, full of humility and honesty, and I was very moved by it if you read the
1: interview and we'll post it on our high-low Twitter um, I don't think that he was doing it for this but I think it will be very good PR because um, you finally got a glimpse into as he says someone that was not necessarily the the scene stealer Mm -hmm. Um, and it's yeah he's he's very interesting and very honest and what I'm most interested by about this is the old elegy of averageness Mm. is that
2: there have been some brilliant think pieces on being average and what that means in modern culture by total chance actually this wasn't related to the Louis Tomlinson interview but India Knight wrote a piece on this subject which was with a female specific lens it was in her Sunday Times column it was yes. so good it was hooked on the fact that MP Joe Swinson is saying now that she would prefer to be deputy mm-hmm. leader of the Lib Dems over leader India Night opens with Women these days are reared to be massively ambitious. It starts at school where girls are outperforming boys and it's all eyes on the prize. The expectation is never now that as a girl or a boy you might just want to potter about as much as possible while having a job to pay the bills. No, the narrative is that everybody should be scrabbling like mad to get to the top of the tree, eyes narrowed, elbows out. Now we all know women like that and hats off to them. The more women there are at the top the better as far as I'm concerned. But we also all know lots of women who are perfectly happy to be in the middle. Not because they're Unambitious, but because they value their quality of life more than they value power and status and are therefore ambitious only to the point that suits them. The whole happily self-limiting aspect of women's ambition is under-discussed, yet as a lifelong potterer, I know my people and we are a legion.
1: Well, I find that really inspirational on a personal level because Mm. I've loved India's journalism since I was in my early teens. Mm. I discovered her through her books before I discovered her journalism. To me, she is at the top of her game, hugely powerful, and I would imagine hugely ambitious. But um, I love that she's a lifelong potterer because I want to be a lifelong (laughs) potterer, and I also want to be successful, and um, I find that really warming. I feel really strongly about this whole idea of the average and this idea that... Everything has to be technicolour now. And even relaxing isn't relaxing anymore. I'll always remember when it became rebranded as, like, chilling. So before, when someone would go, what are you doing? And you'd be like, oh, God, why don't you just sit on my sofa... Doing nothing. Now everyone will go, Oh, I'm just chilling, which immediately makes you think there's like fifteen people in a room and sort of yeah. techno music and pizza and drinks and like you're unicorns. on one of those Taylor Swift Lilos. Yeah, exactly. So we're not even allowed to just sit on a sofa and do nothing. Yeah. You know, just And be boring. Picking your fingernail beds. Yeah. I'm really obsessed with the Truman Show. Um mm. as a film. I think we're gonna look back on it maybe not exactly the same, but similarly to um Nineteen eighty four and Handmaid's Tale because it's that whole idea that everything is worth documenting Mm. and I don't think that everything is worth documenting Um, and I actually, I know that we both really, really love the bog standard. I love an average sandwich. I like a normal day reading a book. What's in your fridge discussions? Just like, you know, just a really average day is very important in order to offset and i think sometimes denying yourself exciting experiences can be really mandatory um i get invited to a lot of lovely things through work and i most of the time say no because i really believe that holidays should be special and um ollie my husband gets really annoyed with me because i'm like no no, no we're not we're not going to do that He's like, why not? And I'm like, because we did this last week, and we're doing this next week, and you know, we need what we need is an average, an average evening at home watching suits,
2: watching suits. Exactly. I completely agree with everything you've just said. Do you remember we had that reader email a while back um, from a young girl who said she was worried, she thought Instagram was making her think her life was boring and that her life wasn't exciting and she was never going to am- amount to anything. And I found that really sad because it's like, I think we've now been given a model of only one type of life that is valid and that is worth living. And that is one that is notorious and loud and incredible and remarkable. And as you said, Technicolor. And And on a Flamingo Lilo. Yeah, on a Flamingo Lilo. And I think, you know, it makes people feel very shameful about what their life is or indeed what they want their life to be and there are many many ways to live a life a well-lived life can be someone like a parent who puts their kids to bed every night like gets home from work to put their kids to bed every night or who carries on their family business for many years or who is like at the heart of a community helping or whatever like there are we don't all have to be the the most rich the most gre- gregarious the most funny the most charming the most beautiful all have to live a life less ordinary. It just doesn't make any sense. And I think we really need to rethink how we praise and verify a life.
1: Yeah, I mean, earlier this year, I wrote a piece for Marie Claire about our loss of emotional middle ground, weighing in on that kind of loss of the average from a, a mental point of view. Can I quote myself, or is that the worst thing ever? No, you've got the green light for me. Um, so this is by uh, the hugely esteemed writer. <laughs> <laughs> My generation swings from ecstatic to devastated in a matter of minutes. We live in politically polarised times, a post-truth world where feelings and opinions outdo facts, and it's seeping into our dialogue. Scrolling through my WhatsApp missives from friends reveals similar schisms of sentiment. No one is just okay. They're either so great or fucking stressed. There is a glamour in failure which can make it as seductive as success. We're much happier to be having the worst week ever than we are to embrace the more comforting average. Um... And I also spoke to a chartered psychologist called Suki McPherson for the piece who had a really interesting take on this. She said that millennials have been reared without good emotional regulation skills, mm-hmm. she called it, partly That's due to baby boomer parents who, having been raised by strict and repressive wartime yeah. parents, yeah. weaned millennials to self-express. There's a huge sense that those aged 18 to 35 have grown up externalising all over the place, <laughs> hoping that people are interested, says McPherson. Anyway, if you want to read the whole thing, it's short, I promise. It's on my way
2: website, um, PandoraSykes.com. The baby boomers have got a lot to answer for, you know. The fact that millennials... Is People will say millennials like, have got a lot
1: to answer for. Every previous no, generation. millennials are awful, no, but the but baby the boomers, is on the hand. the baby boomers. The wartime parents... I'm not sure about the blood on the hand. The wartime <laughs> parents had a lot to answer for as yes, well. Yes,
2: definitely. All Everyone, right. everyone's got something. to They fuck you put. up, your mum and dad. They don't mean to, but they do. Time for Ask the Hilo. We've only chosen one question this week because it's a subject that's very personal to both panda and i and i'm sure we'll have lots to say about it
1: dear pandora and dolly firstly i want to say a huge thank you for your podcast i listen to it religiously i write to you both not only to be a complete fangirl but for some help in the last few years i've come to suffer from anxiety two years ago my mother passed away she was ill but the illness came suddenly and aggressively Prior to this, I don't think I suffered anything anxiety-related apart from what was considered the norm. As of late, it's gotten really bad and it comes in waves. Some days it's bearable, others I feel a pain so tight I find myself rubbing my chest to alleviate the tension. I even struggle to make it through a TV show where any stress or suspense is created. Ridiculous, I know. I was wondering if either of you had any tips or personal experiences of what has helped you to overcome anxiety. Sending you both thanks in advance and best wishes from Australia. P.S. Please can you not disclose my name? my loved ones listen and i'm embarrassed to talk to them about how bad my anxiety has become
2: panda and i've both talked about how we suffer from anxiety um i've written a little hit list of things that i obviously it's very different for everyone how they suffer how it manifests and things that will work for different people but here are my suggestions of things that have worked for me i think the crucial thing in your email is the ps is the fact that you feel embarrassed about how bad your anxiety has become and it means that you can't talk to anyone you don't need to talk to everyone about it I can't talk to all my friends about it I adore my friends but some of them aren't equipped with the right things to say some of them aren't particularly good listeners some of them wouldn't be able to get their head quite round it I think the important thing is is that it's your responsibility, either on your own or with the help of a professional, to work out the root of your anxiety. Trace it backwards and work out why you end up in such a mess and what it is that triggers it so for me I know that it's when things are out of control when things are happening out of my control and then suddenly I'll be in floods of tears having a panic attack because I'm convinced I'm about to die or I can't go into a room with a window open because I think I'm gonna fall out of it it's never about the fact that I think I'm gonna die it's because something earlier has happened that day and that's where I'm displacing the feeling and that's where it's manifesting so you need to work out what those roots are you then have to find the friends or the family in your life who also can go on those routes with you and who you've talked about with it so they can help you navigate back to the route basically and if you don't find those people sadly I I just don't think it's going to get any better for you so I think there will be people in your life who will want to help you get through this and as I said it doesn't have to be everyone you can choose some trusted individuals who you think will have the language and understanding and compassion for it and then they will be able to help you through it. But you definitely need to talk to someone. I also think turning off social media is a really good or just your phone full stop turning off big on your phone that. take a little break from contact go outside being outside being around nature I find really really helpful walk
1: listen to a podcast listen to that's a podcast
2: a do anything that makes you feel present so for me playing guitar really helps or doing exercise really helps something that takes you out of your head and puts you in an activity um, and also I don't know if you smoke or drink or take drugs or eat a lot of sugar but basically try just avoid any substance that has a mood altering effect and And also goes without saying, speak to a professional. I I don't know how it works in Australia. I don't know if you could maybe get that through your work or if not, maybe maybe try and make it a financial priority. That's my advice.
1: It's interesting actually, because as I was reading out your question, my heart broke for you losing your mother because that's obviously a number one fear for Mm -hmm. me and most women Mm -hmm. I know who have had a, a powerful and amazing mother bringing them up. So I'm not surprised at all to hear that that's how you're feeling two years in the grand scheme of things is not a particularly long time Mm -hmm. so don't feel worried and again it really broke my heart that you didn't want anyone who loved you to know how much you were suffering and i do understand that you don't want to be a burden but um and it's
2: embarrassing sometimes yeah
1: but i'm not surprised you feel like that but it was funny because as i read it i sort of chastised myself thinking God, why are you anxious about stuff when this this poor girl has lost her mother? And then my rational side comes in and goes, but anxiety is um anxiety is not rational, and mm. it can be about the micro acts as well as the the macro life changes. And mm. so it was quite funny. So I started giving myself a bit of a talking to just while I was even reading that question out because that's the thing with anxiety. There's not always a rhyme and a reason. Um, I is someone that like constantly likes to self-evaluate um i am riveted sometimes by why i'm feeling really great on a day where you know, just an average day with a cheese sandwich or why I'm not feeling great when I've had the most amazing spate of luck and X, Y, Z has happened and la da da So to anyone listening thinking the same as me, oh god, I don't have a reason to feel like that. This poor girl does, but I don't. That's not the way mental health works. I agree with Dolly that my ways to combat anxiety are to turn off my phone, to make sure I'm going on walks, to not be dwelling like a little hobbit on the internet too much, mm. absorbing vacuous stories about vacuous people. Love that we are called the high low um, <laughs> but it's absolutely just to get the mix in your life right and to make sure that you're seeing people make sure you get a lot of sleep um, yeah. I don't know what your job is but definitely I am much less don't know Dolly you would be the evaluator I feel like I've been much less anxious this year and I think a large part of it was leaving my job and carving out my own career
2: definitely have been
1: um, I definitely feel like making a powerful decision about my life, has made me feel less frantic. Now I understand that you might not be in a scenario where you can go freelance, but it's worth looking at your life and making big. De- both Dolly and I have made big decisions this year. Whether it's leaving a job, moving into a new flat, Dolly's just moving into a space on her own. She wanted to make it a financial priority to live alone. It was very important to her. To not do without it. anxiety,
2: Pandora was on the receiving end. Not of without anxiety, but I feel like it will bring,
1: I think making that decision will bring you less anxiety. Yeah, exactly. It's about. I mean, who bloody knows what is life if not a uh, you know? Um, but so much luck to you. Um, I, I felt very sad for you reading your letter. Uh, life is not always easy, especially when you lose someone you probably loved. Um, um, ask for help and talk. very much talk yes. to people. Exactly, that's what I would say. Thank you to everyone who tweeted or wrote to The Hilo this week. If anyone else would like to contact us, you can email us thehiloshow at gmail.com or tweet us at show. Thank you very much to Acast for lending us your small, perfectly formed and very warm studio. Thank you to Lauren Benstead for the sexy Sexy jingle. Don't forget to rate, subscribe on iTunes. We're called the Hilo Obviously, you can follow our bookshelf. What oh we're reading, More what we tweets. want to read. More
2: tweets at, about what at the username Goodreads.
1: is. Good um, Reads. I still am not sure why so many of you are struggling to find our page, and that's not me being chippy. That's me genuinely riveted. You need a Good Reads profile. But have we still done something opaque because people are still struggling? Because have if- we buried it under a pile <laughs> of books. I've checked it Metaphorically We've done
2: everything we can Is
1: it it in the sort of bottom feeder of the internet and we've somehow Uh, Perhaps Do you know what I've got the Goodreads app on my phone and I get a notification every time someone's made a new friend
2: and um, I
1: get more of those than I get text messages so thank you for being our friend and sorry if you're like why hasn't their shelf moved for three weeks it's because I'm still reading The Handmaid's Tale nothing's changed
2: (laughs) Thanks for listening Bye bye Bye